0: to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, let's uh, begin by praying. Father, we thank you that your word speaks to us. We thank you that we get this intimate insight, particularly in the book of Psalms, of how you work in human hearts, how you change us within, that you are our God fighting on our behalf, that you fight for our causes. And so, Father, we want to open ourselves to your word and what you have to say to us this morning. In your name, amen. This afternoon, we have read 101 Newcomers in here, which is an introduction to if you're new, what really RED is about, an expose of our values. And in thinking about this this week, I began to reflect on what are the values of RED. And I feel like one of the key, key values at RED is the idea of renewal. The truest of values are not something you come up in a brainstorming session because it sounds like the various buzzwords of the day. But the truest values emerge from lived experience, from stories. Red is a church which shouldn't have survived, which went through probably the kind of crises that other churches go through and get knocked out by. We went through several of them, uh, really, uh, over a number of years. And Red as a church is... A story of how God renews. My life during that time is a testimony to how God comes in in ways undeserving and changes us, transforms us. The potter molds his clay. And I know for many of you, this has also been your story. God has done incredible things. There's the different things that God has done in growing us in, in numbers and in various outward markings, but really the story of red is how God changes people. And in praying and preparing for this sermon, I've particularly been praying for those of you who feel that renewal has not touched your life in the ways that you would expect. My prayer this week as I've prepared for this sermon is specifically for you, that renewal will come into your life in new, surprising, profound and transforming ways. And so what I want to do today is I want to use this psalm that treaty just read out, Psalm 77. And I want to work through the whole psalm because what we have here is this incredible capturing of how God transforms someone who feels really that they're at rock bottom This could be many Psalms we could look at today. This is the particular one I really felt the Lord put on my heart to examine. And through working through it and reading the various verses, we're actually going to unlock some of the truths that God has around renewal. But I just wanted to begin with somewhere which we have noted recently. We've looked a lot at the idea of seeds and how God plants seeds and times can seem fallow, that God's not actually working. But a key thing to understand about renewal is that we live in a time and place which is obsessed with events. We expect renewal to be an event that happens in a moment, captured in a millisecond or a, a contained hour, and then it happens. But we need to remember <laughs> Let's go forward. that renewal is a process, not an event. Renewal is a story that we get invited into. The seed is planted of renewal, but the bush of the full fruition of that renewal does not spring up overnight. And so the beginning of this psalm is really indicative. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. And I really want to just mark, we'll go forward one. I want to mark the, uh, the, the final line in this passage. I would not be comforted. I would not be comforted. Can we go forward there? There we go. Thank you there is this bizarre reality that sometimes, even in our worst moments, we can actually resist renewal. The psalmist here is expressing this tremendous pain, a hitting of seemingly rock bottom, but even at that point, there is this line, I would not be comforted. This external set of events has come over this individual and this individual is crying out for God to change those externals. And so often when you hit rock bottom, that's actually what's going on. Let's go forward one there. We have an external storm that is actually outside of us and we wish for those external events to change, for things to disappear that seem to be clouding our experience and increasingly in the world today there are various reasons in fact a growing list but we can actually use that for things which seem to be clouding how we're actually experiencing life. Now a few years ago I was really obsessed with a particular TED talk. Have you ever found a TED talk that sort of captures your interest? I noticed that you get excited with TED Talks, like you watch one, two, or three, you get pumped about them, people become particular TED Talk evangelists. But then you realize that there's like all the TED Talks that are actually at the TED thing in Aspen or wherever it is, and then there's the TED Talk X ones. Like, have you noticed this? They'll be like TED Talk um, Stockholm, you know, TED Talk Poo Wong. Um, these various, you know, events, which actually means that X means they're not official. Um, So that just anyone can sort of pull this TED Talk together, you can have one in your backyard, you just have to put the X after it. So invite your friends over this afternoon, you now have something to do. (laughs) Now this is particular TED Talk that captured my attention, we'll just go forward. And this particular TED Talk was called How to Engineer People's Behaviour. Now I became obsessed with this, not because I want to engineer your behaviour, and I know that probably sounds quite disturbing at the moment, you did see a little scroll across the screen saying kids now go out to Kids Church, um, which seemed to work. Um, <laughs> uh, that was not from this TED Talk, um, I did not know that was happening, but it was effective. So my interest was more how today it seems that our behaviour is being influenced in particular ways. And this particular TED Talk by a speaker called Zoe Chance, great name, um, spoke about how today technology has this incredible ability to actually engineer our behavior. And she spoke of, I think it's quite old now, it's maybe like eight years or something, seven years, and she spoke of a particular sort of proto-Fitbit This was a technology before Fitbit and the more popular sort of pedometers and fitness watches. This is when they were called pedometers, but this was a smart pedometer. And essentially, the story of the TED Talk is how this normal woman, professional, academic, who has you know, kids and is married and his life comes together and is very confident in her presentation styles, had this very normal, sensible, functioning person's entire life got taken over by a pedometer. They didn't spend heaps of money on it. And she reaches this rock bottom point When she's about to go to bed at midnight after getting, I think she went like, it was like 10,000 steps, then she went to 20, and then she got to 45,000 steps a day, which is a lot when you're trying to do other things and have a life. And so she was about to go to bed, and because this sort of system was gamed in a particular way, she was about to go to bed, and it said something like, if you do 10,000 more steps, you actually go to this next level. So she's like, okay, no worries, and I think there was a a reward if you went on inclines because you obviously were burning more calories. So between midnight and 2 a.m., she's walking up and down the steps, and then it gets to 2 a.m., and she finally gets the ding, and she's at some irrelevant level, which matters to no one in her life except some other people that she's friends with in this particular pedometer. And so the whole message of the thing is like, wow, look at the ways that external forces are actually manipulating and changing our lives and how, as humans, seemingly normal, functional people can have their entire life scripts completely overwhelmed and hacked by external people in other countries on computers. Now, the writer... Nir Eyal contacted her a number of years later and he just had this sneaking suspicion that perhaps this wasn't the whole story. That perhaps, yes, today we have these ways of influencing behaviour that we haven't had before. Yes, technology is changing how we behave. Yes, there are certain things people have learnt from industries such as gambling which can change behaviour but he wondered if his instincts felt something more going on here. And he reached out to Zoe Chance and began an email conversation with her. Over with some time, he won her confidence. And she began to tell the story of actually what was happening in her life at this time. Eventually gaining his trust, she shared that this was a time where her job was up in the air. She, as an academic, was struggling to find employment because her and her husband were both academics and basically they had to both get academic postings in the same city. This was causing her tremendous stress. The stress was so real that actually it began to physically affect her. She began to lose her hair and actually became physically sick. She then shared that what this was doing was also revealing a bunch of issues that were already at play in her marriage. And actually at this time, and she gained quite a bounce in her platform and popularity um, with this TED Talk, um, that really at that point when she's giving this talk, when she's using this pedometer, that her marriage was actually beginning to fall apart and eventually her and her husband separated. And Nir realised there was actually something bigger going on. Yes, technology and external things can actually influence people, but really what you had here was someone with a much deeper story that doesn't come out in the TED Talk. The TED Talk is a, is a condensed form of information, gives you some simple hacks, here's this one key idea, technology's changing your behavior, but what's really interesting is behind the necklace professional presentation, and great idea that seems to explain our modern world, is actually someone who has a much deeper issue going on in their life. Approximate cause is something which seems to be nearby, which is influencing our behaviour, and if you just watch the Ted Talk, the cause of the deterioration in Zoe Chance's life and her problems are blamed on the pedometer and the fact that technology can now make us addicted to pedometers or Fitbits or phones, and there is truth in that. But the root cause was that reality was, behind the Ted Talk, behind the academic posting, behind the multiple hits, behind the great idea, here was a woman which was going through a deep, deep personal dislocation. Relationships, our most intimate relationships are actually really about who we are. Our jobs, our desire to make a difference in the world through a vocation speaks deeply. Now. Ni'ayal, who's trying to look at this from sort of psychological perspective, would say, that's where you stop. I would actually take it deeper. And what Scripture says is that all humans, deep down, have a dislocation and a deep issue because we're dislocated from God. And what the world does is it offers us all kinds of ways to ignore this. Now, when we uh, look at the passage again, I would not be comforted, and we look at that line, what it actually says in the Hebrew is, and, or in English it says, I would not be comforted. In the Hebrew it is my nephesh, which in Hebrew is soul. Don't think of this as Casper the ghost, the bit that in a cartoon if you die then like, floats out of your body. Then soul is like, in Hebrew, is this complete concept of who you are. The deepest longings you have, your deepest identity, your, your, your mind and your body and your soul and all these things bound up in the truest sense of who you are. And what the psalmist is saying here, I'm crying out to God for help. I'm crying for you to hear me. My arms are just stretched out day and night because inside of me, at the deepest, deepest levels of what it is to be human, I can't be comforted. I can't be comforted. Our world is filled with proximate causes, externalities, I'm addicted to this technology, I'm distracted by this. But what's really interesting is at the end of the day, so many of our proximate causes are actually covering up the deeper issue. We currently, increasingly in Australia, um, following places like the United States, are caught up in an opioid epidemic And looking at that, in America, the numbers are actually incredible around things like fentanyl. So many people are dying. And you can look at that, and it's a problem, and the access to fentanyl is a problem. But what's so interesting is uh, there are people in this room who have had babies, and during the babies' (laughs) delivery had incredibly powerful opioids, and you're not addicted. So the vast amount of women who have births and have the, just get me something, (laughs) are not actually then become addicted. So yes, these issues and opioids and these things are there and access to them is a problem, but they're actually covering up a bigger, much deeper spiritual problem deep within humans. Deep within humans. And so the psalmist here takes us to the essence of what's at play here, that our souls, the deepest parts of us, don't want to be comforted. There's something wrong, and we'll go forward. That actually, yes, there's the external proximate causes, and there's the storm outside, but actually there's also a storm inside. The wind blows internally. The rain falls. There's something wrong in so many people. And as humans, we actually prefer distraction to renewal. There was a really interesting um, experiment done, and... It was looking at boredom, the fact that we do not like to just sit with our thoughts. So what they did was they put um, a group of people, individuals, they put them in a room, and they made this room absolutely low stimulus, so just white blank walls. There was literally a chair, and they told the people that they had to be there for, I think it was 20 minutes, and there was only one thing in the room, which was a small machine that would actually give you a painful electrocution. So, you had two choices, be bored and sit with your thoughts, or be painfully electrocuted. Now, there was very different results between men and women. (laughs) 25% of women decided to be electrocuted rather than actually sit in their own thoughts. Anyone want to guess what percentage of men? (laughs) Who thinks it was 50? Put your hands up. Who thinks it was 60, 70? Can we go higher? (laughs) 75% of men preferred to painfully (laughs) electrocute themselves (laughs) than sit just with their thoughts, having a nice little relax. Why? In the 18th century, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician and great Christian thinker, said a profound line. He said, the chief source of humans' problems is they cannot sit in a room by themselves. And what he meant by that is that when we stop, we're confronted with the dislocation and storm in our nefesh in our deepest soul. We prefer to be electrocuted. We prefer to walk through traffic scrolling images. We prefer another beer, thank you, another donut. There is something in us which actually prefers distraction to renewal. So there's this weird dynamic that we want renewal. The psalmist is crying out to God for God to come and act, but there's something in us which stops renewal. So therefore, to understand renewal, God does renewal, God sovereignly comes and changes individuals, communities, cities, churches and nations, but we have to choose to be led into renewal. We have to make a choice. We have to make a choice to even walk into what be initially may be the discomfort of of the journey into renewal. You can't head into renewal without a realization that you need renewal. As AA and so many 12-step programs have shown us wisely, is that to change, you've got to hit rock bottom. And the bottom's a great place to climb. Up from. That was not meant to be a dramatic pause. That was just a a bad, a bad pause. So as we read on, we, we look at the text and it says this. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands and I would not be comforted. Verse two, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered the songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favour again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He, in anger, withheld His compassion then? That's a powerful then, that's a then you can skip over, that's a then of someone who is, what is God going to do, my nephesh is in torment, why is God doing anything, what is going on here, and the person is almost descending down the stairs, and they're almost hitting the basement of self-pity, then, then I'm going to go in a different direction, then I'm going to go in the opposite spirit of even what my dislocated nephesh is pushing me towards. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. There is this thing here where it is, I am going to choose to do something different and go in the opposite direction. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. For the last, as long as I can remember, the last 10 plus years, every winter I will get two to three really bad colds or flus. And I hate it, I realize I don't hate winter, I hate getting sick in winter. Like winter, there's like warm fires and it's nice to look out at the rain if you're inside. Like winter has its advantages. And every year though, I would hate winter and I would get down and I realized that it's because I would be sick and get these really bad colds, just pick them up like that. So I tried different things and not really, like I got the flu shot which helped a bit but then this year, I thought, right, I'm absolutely sick of this. And I caught a flight last year, and on, I watched this. And it was like, how to survive a long-haul flight, because I'd just done a long-haul flight. where I had gastro. <laughs> That's a crazy scene. <laughs> where yeah, I literally, I was at San Francisco Airport, like, laying on the ground with people just looking at me, you know, security, like, you're like, right? yeah. yes, yeah, mate, I'm crook. We, can we get a translator, please? Um, <laughs> and... Um, so I read this, I watched this video, and the guy comes out and he's like, right, you're a long haul flight, your enemy is germs. And he's like, we don't realize how many germs we pick up from our hands. And one of the dirtiest places in the world is the handle on an international flight to- on the toilet door. Right? Also, they don't come in and clean properly. So, like, this guy's like going on the plane, he's like, I'm an expert, he flies all, all over the world. He's like, he's got his like antibacterial wipes, he's wiping down the sides of you know the, the handles. Like you've got to wipe everything. He's wiping the tray, right? And he's wiping the, the, the screen, you know? So I, I, I'm on the plane. I've got my, like, antibacterial wipes. I do the thing. I'm wiping the table. I wipe the screen. It stops working. <laughs> I've got, like, 17 hours ahead of me. Excuse me. There's a computer glitch here. They reset it like it was okay. And then, like you get there, you know, you wash your hands. You know, my hands are like I've got moisturiser because your hands get dry. But then you, you get in there, you wash your hands, you're really careful in the in the toilet. We've had a toilet theme lately in the few weeks at Red. Anyway, um, and you you then you, you get out, but then you're like got those toilet doors where they're like they push in in a plane. How do you do that without touching the handle? So I'm trying this for a while, there's people waiting outside, I'm like banging on the door, trying to like, that goes, I've got to get around, this is like a bizarre dance. And then it came to me. <laughs> the sleeve. <laughs> so the sleeve, well I thought, hang on, I'm not gonna eat off that. Like, I am just to over the sleeve. This was a revelation in my life. This was the beginning, you had to hit rock bottom, you have to hit rock bottom before you change. <laughs> And so then, on the plane, I'm, I'm doing my sleeve. This, this works. And then I get to the airport and like, ah, oh, there's the handles. We go up the escalators. Sleeve, because I didn't want to fall. Walking out of the airport, a sleeve. And really, for basically the last four months, my life has been about the sleeve. <laughs> this is an ongoing joke in the red workplace. As people begin to see me with the sleeve, uh, I think then it went outside of the workplace. I think it was Simon. Proctor, who's here somewhere, was laughing at me because I was coming out of the kids' space, and there's that sort of like pool door so you get out of the kids' space, and he's laughing at me because I've just become second nature by this time <laughs> that actually you have to like. I was doing this. I was like opening the thing like this. <laughs> this kept going. I avoided the the lolly jar in the office, and my finish line. Because I spoke to my doctor two years ago, he said. The cold and flu season stops when you get to this school holidays. Everyone comes back and it's like, that's sort of when it ends. 2019. No colds or flus. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, with band's going to come up. I had to do something that was completely different to what I'd done before. I had to go in an opposite spirit, which seemingly seemed crazy, but actually delivered results. It was this small change which actually delivered huge things. And often renewal begins with these seemingly smallest things. You actually have to do something different. Let's go forward. When you look at this decision, I will appeal to this, then I will appeal to this. What does the psalmist do? they begin to remember. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. This is someone then choosing not to set what is happening and the dislocation of their nefesh and the pain of that as this organizing principle of their life. They're actually then choosing, even though they In the midst of it, it's capturing all of their emotions, them going in the opposite spirit saying, then I'm gonna set my reality, not what I see around me, not what other people are doing, not even the proximate causes that I could possibly use, even as external things to put the blame of this on. I realize that internally there is something here, and I'm actually going in the opposite spirit, and I'm gonna set my reality on who God is, and what he does, and God is a renewing God who brings renewal, and he's done that throughout history, he's doing it now, and he's going to do it again, and that's the central organising principle the psalmist arranged their life around at this point. Renewal begins with remembering. Let's go forward. Why is this important? This is not just a remembering, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Like a thought has popped into someone's head. If you actually look at this, there is this meditative remembering. This is deep, engaged remembering. We talked about the word meditation uh, a couple weeks ago, and I talked about the difference between how we popularly imagine meditation of someone just emptying their mind and sitting in front of some mountain view on some, you know, rice paddy is below on some cliff. This is actually a Hebrew understanding of meditation, which is A different biblical concept. This is the the biblical word, hagar, which is actually more like a groaning, an engagement, a wrestling with, a study, a pondering, a joy, a mourning, all of these things. This is fully putting your attention on what God has done in the past. Verse 12, I will consider all of your works and will meditate, meditate, set my focus, put central your mighty deeds, your mighty deeds. Who you are is defined by where you place your attention. And when we have meditative remembering, this then begins to lay the groundwork for what is the next important stage, praise. And you notice the psalmist then goes into, in the next verse, verse 13, your ways God are holy. What God is as great as our God? And praise begins to flow from the mouth of the psalmist here. Charles Spurgeon said this, Before you go out into the world, wash your face in the clear crystal of praise. Bury each yesterday in the fine linen and spices of thankfulness. This is a deliberate setting. Spurgeon was someone who struggled with depression one of the great Christian leaders of the 19th century, probably one of the most famous preachers ever, but he understood that even struggling with that mental health challenge, that the way to answer that was to actually begin the day speaking the praises of God. In any situation, when it seems absolutely hopeless, we put on the garment of praise. For as the song says, this is how we fight our battles. And when you praise, you're realising this dynamic that actually when you praise, it's a weird thing. In a sense, you're giving up control. You're giving up the human folly that has its origins in Adam and Eve's rebellion, that we want to control the process, that we want to take it over. But when we praise, we're saying, no, you are good God. You are the Lord of the universe. You can do this. You've done this before. You're doing it now. You will do it in the future. God, you are great. And we reorder the universe. Our souls are in dislocation because at the fall of humans, when sin entered the world, that natural order where God is God and humans are humans, and we offer him worship and praise, and the universe is in its right structure and order. We attempted a rebellion, and that's the dislocation which puts everything out of place. And when we worship and praise God, we step proactively back into how the world was meant to be. God becomes God. Well, he's always God. But more importantly, we become who we're meant to be. Worshippers, praisers, priests is how the scripture describes us. And in that point, and there's this incredible cinematic series of verses in verse 16 to 18, the waters saw you, God. Yam in the Hebrew, this ocean representing this chaos that actually comes against humanity, this chaos in the world, almost like a sea monster. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. This is Hollywood, cinematographic-like language to say one thing. God fights our battles. God is ready to fight your battles sometimes we just have to remember that he wants to do that and let him. Renewal is you not fighting your battles. That's the story of the world. The person who through smarts or strength or skill or charisma battles up from the ground and becomes a huge success. In our story of renewal, it's the person who realized they couldn't do it and therefore God did everything for them. And so we must understand that God fights the chaos. God fights our battles. We're not even engaged in the battle. We actually praise. We sing the praises of he who is engaged in the battle. And then in verse 11, sorry, not verse 11, verse 19, your path led through the sea your way through the mighty, what's meant to be mighty, water, waters. God then, often when we want to just see the chaos around it as an external thing, we want it to disappear. Now, sometimes God does that. I have known people who've had profound instantaneous changes in the externals. That will happen sometimes. But most often, because God is actually invested in changing us, in renewing us, in molding the clay, of actually reshaping us into his image, he will not take the chaos away, but he'll show a way through the chaos. He'll show a way through the chaos. Why? Because before the outer chaos can be defeated, the external, God must deal with the inner chaos changing us first. We think it's this. We think it's the proximate causes. God engages us. Remember, renewal is a process, not an event. God takes us on the path of renewal because he's more interested in what he's doing in us than what's happening around us. God is more interested in changing us than various external events in our life. Renewal is what God does. And it's something that he wants to do to you. But we have to realise that he is going after the main prize, which is what is happening inside you. Why does he do this? Why does He wants to change that inner. Well, our inner chaos must be defeated so we can recognise how God works. And the line which stands out in the entire Psalm 77 for me is this incredible line. Though your footprints were not seen, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, God, though your footprints were not seen. God is at work renewing you in ways you haven't seen. Renewal is always happening. Invitation for renewal is always before you. God is working internally, externally, in people around you. There are people praying for you. God is at work in the world. The whole world is his workshop. The whole world is his symphony, but we can miss his footprints. Our inner chaos must be defeated, so we begin to see this reality and join God in his bigger project in the world. God wants to release us from this inner falling in on ourselves because of our inner dislocation. And when the Holy Spirit falls on a church in the upper room who are confused, and hiding away and praying and the church is about 11 people with some other people gathered around them literally you can fit them all into some one first century small apartment god wants to deal with all that doubts confusion anxiety the holy spirit falls people are remade it doesn't just happen there they begin to be changed god's footprints go out in the world but he does this because he wants to see the bigger project in the world come before us god's footprints are everywhere in the world he wants to release his church. He wants to do renewal first in us, but eventually there's a point where that becomes overflow and goes out into the world. God's renewal project is micro, but it's also macro. And so Red is called to be a church about renewal. Red is a church about renewal, not just because it's a place of self-actualization, but actually because we are called to be his good news in the world signposts and symbols of his kingdom, preachers of his good news and his gospel. God wants to release you to actually give you what you want, which is meaning and purpose, a passion and a proficiency of actually following God of what he wants to do in his world. This is exciting. No one need that left behind. God's invitation to be renewed is before you. We need to put down our proximate causes and sometimes our excuses and actually come boldly, humbly before God and say, I need to be remade. And you know what? This doesn't happen once. This is a lifelong project. God's done renewal in my life in profound ways, but I don't want that to be the end of the story. I want to be remade. God's going to do a new thing. No matter if you don't feel like you've ever been renewed, you've been renewed before. God's story that he wants to do amongst us is renewal. So let's stand. Father, we thank you that your great project in the world is renewing us and renewing the world. First of all, I just want to pray, Father, for for people who may feel that they're in that place of not being comforted who can't see possibilities, who can't see change, who can't see you coming in who wonder where you've been whether you're even good whether you're even there and Father we just want to recognise that what your scriptures tells us is this is not because of externals, I'm sure there's externals Father, but this is ultimately because our souls are dislocated that we need you. We need you to remake us. So we just pray, come Holy Spirit into that space. Come Holy Spirit. Bring your comfort. Bring your renewal. And Father, together, corporately, we say then, to this we will appeal that your scriptures are filled with stories of ordinary people whose life story was profoundly changed when you came and changed them the whole history of the church yes there's the Spurgeons but there's just the ordinary people all over the world in every different continent who have been profoundly changed by you you have acted in mighty ways in the past you're doing incredible things in the world today. You've done incredible things amongst us. There are people here who were not who they were three years ago, one year ago, six months ago, 10 years ago. You were changing people. And Father, we know that there are people in this room who hear this and even at the moment don't have the faith. And that's okay. They don't need to have the faith. You give us the faith. And actually I can't see this happening to me, but actually they're going to get changed. That you actually have renewal for individuals. You have renewal for relationships. You have renewal for us as a church. So, Father, on that, we want to appeal. Because at the center of that, the good deeds come from the good God and you are good. And so, Father, this storm, which is real and does surround us, but before you can... Reach that storm and deal with it. Sometimes you want to deal with the internal storm in us. So in Jesus' name, I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit may come and quieten any storms which are too loud for us to see you. Father, we hold on to the fact that your footprints are not seen. And just because we can't feel you or see you or even sense your work in our life, that does not mean that you are not at work. And to Jesus, we want to begin right now to change the atmosphere in this room. We want to change it by praising, by actually building a new platform, not based on our performance, but your perfection. And to Father now, we want to change an atmosphere by praising. So in a second, Father, we just want to offer up our praises to you. We pray that your spirit may respond. We know your spirit is here, always ready, always inviting. And we want to step into that invitation. We love you, God. And Father, we want to be a people marked by renewal.